When my wife and I first moved to Regina and started looking at houses, we were a little surprised to learn about foundation issues that plague so many houses in what is called the Queen City. I remember one house where we stood in the kitchen and the floor dropped four inches over a six-foot run because the foundation had shifted so much. Now, our family love Regina. I think it's a beautiful city with wonderful people, and we're thrilled to call it home. We're thrilled to be here. We love you as a church. So with that context in mind, there was more than one once while I was house hunting, I asked the question, why in the world do people build houses here if this is what happens to the foundation? It turns out there's dirt that swells when it gets wet and it crushes foundation walls. Really? And somebody thought it was good to build a city on that. I don't quite get it. I have to admit that more than once as we looked at homes, the story of the two builders we read this morning came to my mind. The good old reminder we learned as kids that we should build our house on a rock and make sure our houses have firm foundations. And thinking about Regina, it had me wondering if someone missed that song in Sunday school. Even with our foundation woes in Regina, I think we're a little disconnected from this parable. And the parable's lost its initial impact it would have had on the original listeners, or at least for most of us. The way we build houses and buildings now compared to then is so different. You see, we just hire someone to build us a house and we check in on it. Or if we want to be hands-on, we hire our own workers to do the various tasks. We have all sorts of equipment like backhoes and concrete trucks to help out. We've got lumber we can buy if we have a small fortune right now. Whew. We have safety standards, regulations, permits, the list goes on. No longer do we have to go find our own rocks to build stone walls and mix mud to put between the stones. We don't consider the long, arduous hours and back-breaking work that someone would put into building a house themselves from scratch. And of course, how the house turns out will be based on the foundation it has. We know this. And now when you hear sand, maybe you're like me and you think of sandy beaches and, you know, that you walk in and say, well, of course, that would not make a good foundation. But in this story, the context is there's two seasons, just like we have in Regina, where we have either winter or construction. Well, there, they've got rainy, wet season or construction season. Those were the two seasons. During the dry summer, it was a great time to build, and you wanted to get an early start so your home would be done before the rains came. But the sand around there wasn't like our beach sand. It was dry, hard, clay-like, and compacted down. In fact, it would be rock hard. Now, if you ask people who build in that climate today how far to dig down for your foundation... The answer is not a measurement. Like we might say, well, go at least four feet down. They would tell you, you dig down until you hit rock. In a valley, it might be 10 feet. On a mountain, it might just be a couple inches. And with all our equipment and standards and hired labor, we would just tell a contractor to dig until he hit rock. But perhaps if you're building your own home, you might just get to a spot with all the time and labor, seeing the rainy season coming, you might just say, this is good enough. And, you've seen, and you build on what seems like hard enough ground. 
And building a house is hard manual labor, and it is filled with sacrifice and risk. And well, maybe sometimes builders would sacrifice and risk where they shouldn't, including the foundation. Now, you might be saying, would anyone ever actually do that, Pastor Mike? That seems ridiculous. Who's silly enough not to dig a proper foundation? Well, if you watch reality TV shows like I like to, with home renovation shows, who, where they fix up old houses, well, those kind of drive home the point that people cut corners all the time, doesn't it? It's what people do. Perhaps the story of what happened in a Jerusalem suburb on August 28, 1991 will convince you. On that day, one-third of an apartment building collapsed on itself. What had happened is a sewage line leaked under part of the building, causing a third of the complex to collapse because the foundation it was built on had eroded. Examination afterwards showed the building was not built on rock, as it should have been, but on loose soil that was able to erode away from the leak. Or maybe a more Canadian example will convince you of having a good foundation would help. It was 1999 when a home built on the North Saskatchewan River in Edmonton on the River Valley collapsed into the valley, is built up on top, it collapsed in the valley as the ground around it gave away. Two other homes had to be condemned as well, and it turns out the ground they were built on was completely unstable. And it became arguably one of the most expensive empty lots in Edmonton. So this really does happen. People choose wrong foundations in real life for houses. We also choose wrong foundations in our lives. So if you grew up singing Bible songs about foundations, which I think many of us did about don't building the house on sandy land, don't build it too near the shore, might look kind of nice. I won't go there. We need to realize we can choose the wrong foundation solely because we are not focused on being or being intentional or wanting to make shortcuts, which brings us back to our parable. We need to recognize that for a length of time, we don't know how long, these two houses in the parables would have been standing. Both foundations are fine initially. The houses are doing well. It's not until a storm comes that things get interesting. And we know that's true. It's when the storms hit that trees break, eaves straws overflow, and roofs leak. Actually, this week we had that big storm. Sure enough, we had a water dripping down somewhere where it's never dripped before and hopefully will never drip again. And so it's like this in the rainy season where these houses are. When the storms of the season come, that rock-hard sand that's been packed down over months and months is going to soften as the water seeps in. And it will shift and erode away as the waters come. The faster the water, the stronger the storm, the faster that dirt's going to erode. And eventually the house built on the sand collapses with no foundation left underneath it. Now, this is a parable, and it's not really about houses. It's a parable about you and me. Jesus is also telling this parable at a very specific time. He's telling this parable at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. This is his concluding statement. This is how he's ending that whole great teaching we find in Matthew 5 to 7. He's done some of the most radical teaching that calls us to follow God's will 
through the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount has captured the attention of Christian believers for centuries. Some wondering if we should take it literally or if it's just figurative. Some trying to find ways around it. And I'm sure it was even more revolutionary and captivating to the original audience than it is to us. These are teachings that were deeply unsettling to those here at. So contrary to the very world in which everyone lived. Teachings like, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom for poor people? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Wait, shouldn't the powerful inherit the earth? Or how about, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. These are teachings that call us to be different than the world. Teachings like, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. It's teaching that calls us to a higher ethic than anything in the world. Teaching like, you've heard it that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his mind or in, her, in his heart. Or, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. This is teaching that changed our relationship with God, where we're called to pray not just for forgiveness for us, but are instead taught to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And right before the grand finale to the Sermon on the Mount, we hear Jesus teach that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. These teachings were not of this world. They were radical and usurped the status quo of the power structures of the world, showing that in God's kingdom, things are upside down compared to our world. That not only the expectations are different, the stakes are even higher than in this world. So Jesus preaches this message and then concludes telling a parable about two builders. The one we heard this morning, the one many of us know. And the question that we have to ask coming out of this is, what is the foundation of your life? Is your foundation like the solid rock or the sandy foundation? Is your foundation Jesus Christ or is it the world? The consequences of choosing wrong are very clear in this parable. We don't often talk about that with the kids, do we? We talk about the nice parts of the story. But the story is clear. You will face storms... And the house built on the wrong foundation will not stand. It will be demolished. This parable lets us know that with the right foundation, we will be able to weather the storms of life. And we know they are there. And with the wrong foundation, the house, our lives, will be destroyed and not survive. This is a story not just about weathering the storms of day-to-day -day life, but it's a story of eternal consequences. Are we going to follow God or not? We realize Jesus is saying, you've heard my teachings now. 
It's the end of the, the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard my teachings. Will you choose now to live the way I've called you to, or are you going to choose to keep living the world's way? Which way will you live? Choose, because there's consequences to your actions. This isn't a question about what do you believe in your mind. Belief only matters if it's lived out. That is one of the lessons in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus wants more than a lip service. He knows our hearts. He wants more than people saying, Lord, Lord. He wants to actually be the Lord of their lives. So Jesus concludes the Sermon on the Mount by calling us to choose our foundation on which to build our lives and to live it out. What is the foundation on which your decisions are made in life? And you might say, well, Mike, it's Jesus. That's why I'm here. But I need to tell you, I'm a pastor, and I have to ask this question of myself regularly. I suspect I'm not alone in that. Is it really unquestionably Jesus? Or does the need for money rule your life? Do you need influence, family, power, control? I want to side note, just sidetrack from my, my sermon for a second here. Just, I've been reflecting on friendships I had in youth group in high school. And it's been amazing to look and see the kids who weren't really connected sometimes are so strong in faith now. But some of the kids who were always up front, always in the leadership, always the ones who were popular and like, wow, they're so amazing. They were so successful in life too. They were that kind of charismatic personality. They have each fallen away from faith as they've been seduced by wealth, by power and influence, control, all sorts of things. Faith in God went to the sidelines as they pursued careers that weren't rooted in God. They didn't have a foundation. They looked great. Turns out their life wasn't built on Christ. And some of the people who maybe didn't look as good at that time built a life on Christ, a solid life on Christ. And wow, I look at them now and I look at their kids and I'm like, God, you are so good. And we get it so wrong when we look at people sometimes and think we can tell who's got a foundation and who doesn't. So what is your foundation? Do you base your foundation on how you see this world? Do you base it on your ability to know things and have control of your situation, your ability to determine the truth? I've got to tell you, we're in a season of COVID where it seems like a lot of people are basing their reality on what they know and think they know. We've all seen that. And of course, we're all right and everybody else is wrong, right? Of course, I'm always wrong. That's my joke during COVID. I've never been right one day yet during COVID. But that's our world right now. And I'm thankful there's some people in this church that I can disagree with, and I know that when we're disagreeing, we're here with our eyes set on Christ together. I love that. That means the world to me. Because that means our foundation isn't on what we know, it's on who Christ is and what he's called us to be. That's what I want for us. Put Christ first in all things, for all of us. Is your foundation 
the truth of Christ? Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. Or is your foundation your version of the truth? We can say, I believe this, I believe that. We can say, Lord, Lord, and sing all the worship songs we want. But God wants to love them with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and strength. Not just our mind. That means we need to do more than believe. We have to be all in with our lives. That doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. We are saved by grace, people. But that grace is not just, hey, say the right thing and you're in. It's come and follow me. Let me shape your life. Jesus wants our whole lives. He wants us to be all in for faith. He wants to be our foundation, or as other passages refer to Jesus, the cornerstone of our lives, the foundation stone on which everything else lines up. And if that foundation stone isn't strong and straight and true, everything's off. Jesus is our foundation. So when you stop and look at how you are living your life, What is your foundation? Yes, I'm repeating myself again and again with this question because I think it's very easy to just give a pat answer every time. We need to slow down and actually stop and look at our lives and say, if I were to look at what I'm doing and who I am and where I put my energy and what my focus is, what's ruling my life? What's my foundation right now? My wife and I have been having these conversations We've been trying to figure out what does God want for for us as a family as we try to figure out transitions in life and changes and what's coming up expense-wise and financially this and with her being home homeschooling and what's God calling us to as a family. And, you know, I'm so thankful because God just stepped in and said, here's what I've got planned for you. And we were able to have an answer. But essentially the question was, what's our foundation? And we wanted our foundation to be Christ. And we were trying to figure out what that meant. And I'm thankful God provided my wife with this temporary contract to step into teaching again in a way that's really beneficial to our family and to her. We could have gone ahead of God, but we waited on him, and God provided. But all the way along, there's things that challenged what that foundation was that we could have turned to and said, well, that's the priority. So what's challenging Jesus as your foundation in your life? Maybe Jesus is your foundation, but what's pushing that? What's challenging that? What's seeking to undermine that? Over the fall, we're going to be doing a sermon series that is going to look at the Holy Spirit. My biggest fear in this series is that people are going to come out saying, I learned something new today, which, great. What I want to hear, I'm trying to live this out. I don't want to hear that you learned something new. We've learned many things. We can Google all sorts of things. We know this. 99% of it's not true on Google. My own cynicism of the internet. Turn to scripture for truth. I want to know how you're going to live it out. That's the goal of the series this fall, is look at the Holy Spirit. We want it to be practical, experiential, meaningful. And it involves teaching and having us think through and wrestle stuff, but then the choice is on you. How do I live this out after I leave the sanctuary? How do I live this out as I go to work and to school and I interact with my family? 
And we're going to try and give some things to go along. We're going to be doing a little video podcast on social, on social media and YouTube once a week where you can come alongside and just reflect on your week and the week ahead and spend some time listening to God and praying alongside us. We'll have more information on that next week. But what I want us to understand is the Holy Spirit is not an add-on to our faith. If we're talking about a house and a foundation, the Holy Spirit and God is not just a little addition that you add on to something and say, hey, I got God now. The Holy Spirit's a person, the third person of the triune God. And Ephesians 5 calls us to be filled by the Spirit. To be filled, we have to make space. When we see God as an add-on to our life in this world, we've got the wrong foundation. The triune God is the foundation on which we build our life. And we're going to be filled by the Spirit when our foundation is Jesus Christ and not the things of the world. This is practical how we live out our life of faith. This is your hands get dirty kind of faith. And we're given a very effective tool in Scripture to evaluate whether our life is being lived empowered by the Spirit with the foundation of Jesus Christ, or if our foundation is something other than Christ. And we can evaluate our foundation using the fruit of the Spirit. If we do not have this fruit in your life, if your life is not bearing fruit, then I encourage you to examine if there's something seeking to replace Jesus as your foundation. I need to tell you, I have to do this regularly. Living in this world, it's easy to be distracted. But we need to come back to having Jesus as our foundation again and again and bearing the fruit of that in this world. Bearing the fruit of the Spirit that is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Folks, this isn't a pick-your-own-adventure kind of thing. This is all of them. This is the fruit that the Spirit bears in our lives is all of this. We bear these things because we're, t- we're told because those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. They've gotten rid of those things and made room for the Spirit to fill them. And I pray as we continue in this COVID season, as we continue living in a divided culture, we hear the words that Galatians 5 concludes with. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Let's choose to build up our lives firmly on the foundation of Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and following God's leading to love him with all that we are, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. To be all in. To daily choose the right foundation to hear the Spirit speaking to us and guiding us and leading us. I hope you'll be able to join us each week. If you can't make it, you can watch them online later on to learn about who the Holy Spirit is and put that into practice in your life, to reflect on what that means for you, to grow in your faith, and to push aside the things of this world and let them die off and embrace the new life we have in Jesus Christ. Let's bow in prayer.
Father God, we thank you so much for the love that you have given us. We see in creation that you created us to be in relationship with you and you walked in the garden with Adam and Eve and then sin came and there's separation but then you made your presence known in the tabernacle and temple of Israel and made your presence known there. But again, people turned away from you as we're prone to do. And then you sent your son Jesus into our world, fully human, fully divine, to teach us, lead us, guide us, to sacrifice his life and pay the price for our sins, those things that separate us from you. And you used our turning away from you to redeem us. As we sacrificed your son on the cross, you used that act as an act of redemption and you raised Jesus to life and brought him back to heaven but not without the promise that you would be with us forever with your Holy Spirit. God, the story of Scripture is one of you wanting to be with us. And yet we keep choosing a different foundation in our lives, wanting to do things our own way. Lord, may your Spirit empower us to choose a foundation of Jesus, to root ourselves in God's Word, to live the life Christ called us to and to be a people who live in grace and offer grace to one another. And we look forward to that day when Christ returns and for eternity we'll be in your presence forever. To you be all glory and honor and praise. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.